The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and thank you all to listen, for listening with us today. We're very glad that you have joined us. We are grateful that you're out there, and it's just a lot of fun to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality. Thank you for letting your friends and the people that are in your spiritual community and your recovery community know about Spirit of Recovery we're getting the word out, and that is fantastic. We love listening, uh, hearing from you, our listeners, and we're very glad to know that what we're doing here on the Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart and is giving you some inspiration and some ideas uh, that you can use in your recovery process. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community, and we always have guests that are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative Our guests are either people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. They're always people who have wonderful insights about this recovery process, um, about the spirituality of it and and many forms that that spirituality comes in, that higher power as we understand it. And our guests are bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to the Spirit of Recovery um, in a variety of modalities. Of course, you can listen through your computer. You can listen through your smartphone now. And you can also access our archived programs by going to www.unity.fm backslash program backslash Spirit of Recovery. And you can find our archives there. We want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. And if you're a person who's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member or a family member or a friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery or whether you're just curious, interested in the process of recovery and you're looking for more information, we welcome you and we welcome your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus and I am your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and a recovery counselor. I'm also a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and engagement in the 12-step recovery process as a family member and friend and got me engaged in my spiritual development. And since that time, my uh, spiritual walk, my life journey is an integration of the unity and recovery principles. And that keeps uh, really expanding the good in my life and inviting me uh, to deep, deeper honesty, openness, and willingness. And I am very grateful for that. Again, it's wonderful to be able to have the opportunity to share with you on the topic of recovery and spirituality and also to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Today, as usual, we have a great um, program for you. Our topic today is uh, going to be about teens in recovery. It's empowering teens in recovery, how the 12-step programs and recovering adults can help. And my guest today is Dr. Stephen L. Jaffe, M.D., 
And Dr. Jaffe has spent the last 25 years uh, working to modify 12-step programs so that they are developmentally meaningful for teens. He's the author of the Adolescent Substance Abuse Intervention Workbook and also the STEP Workbook for Adolescent Chemical Dependency. And these are some wonderful books that are used often in the treatment process with adolescents. Dr. Jaffe received his training in psychiatry at Harvard University and also at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center. And he received his child psychiatry training at Emory University in Atlanta. He has been the editor of the newsletter of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and he's been the president of the Georgia Council for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. He's also been the director of adolescent programs um, for psychiatric and chemical dependency recovery at uh, CPC Parkwood Hospital. And he is uh, currently an emeritus professor of psychiatry at Emory University in Atlanta and also the clinical professor of psychiatry at Morehouse School of Medicine, also in Atlanta. He consults with three different adolescent uh, treatment programs in the Atlanta area. So he's a busy person, and we're very grateful, Dr. Jaffe, that you have taken the time to be with us today. So welcome to the Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you say that teens aren't just little adults, and uh, <laughs> even though we know teens, a lot of teens uh, need recovery, or those that have this disease need it, what's different about them that makes uh, what they need in, in the recovery and treatment process different than adults? Well, uh, number one, we know now from, from scientific studies, um, much to my surprise and most everybody else's surprise, uh, that has raised teenagers uh, is there is brain growth in the teenage years. In fact, uh, it goes on till about age 24. We continue to get um, myelination of the frontal and prefrontal lobes, those are the areas of the brain that have to do with executive function and thinking through, making good decisions, those sorts of things. So dealing with adolescents is a, is a work in progress in terms of their brains. And when they begin to use drugs and alcohol, um, they, they uh, burnt the normal process. And teenagers at their much younger level, they can become, especially now when we have kids smoking pot at age 9 and 10, by the time they're 13 and 14, they're smoking pot every day. And by the way, pot is addictive, um, although uh, many people in California don't believe that. Um, in fact, the, the figures are if you start smoking pot before the age of 18, 17% will get into trouble within two years and develop symptoms of addiction, negative consequences. At any rate, um, when I first got into this, um, dealing with teenagers, and I sort of fell into it in the 1980s. What happened, to give you some background, what happened is I was running an adolescent program, a hospital program connected with teaching at Emory. And I was running a program, and I noticed that half of my adolescents could not miss it, were doing drugs and alcohol. And I didn't know anything about that. I, don't, I had you know, trained at Emory and Harvard and best places. And so I went to the literature and found out that child psychiatrists uh, didn't know anything about drugs and alcohol in teenagers. Um, um, so I began, I hired a recovering counselor. And he and I began running a group for the druggy teenagers, as I call them, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but just these are teenagers that are doing drugs and alcohol. And for four years, five days a week, he and I ran a group, and I taught him a little bit of psychiatry, and he taught me the foundation of everything I do begin to understand about teenagers and drugs and alcohol. Um, I counselor I began to took me oh we're going to a meeting today at lunchtime and I went to visit my first 12-step meeting and said oh look there's all this secret information that they never taught me at Harvard and 12-step programs and 12-step recovery as everybody that's involved in it knows has helped more people than all of psychiatry psychology and counseling at any rate 
began to because of my background and and I even taught child development at Emory for a number of years. Um, and teenagers don't make mature decisions. They're very self-centered. It varies with the early adolescent who are the most the least introspective people you ever want to meet. Okay, hopefully they become, they're, they're overwhelmed by their pubertal changes, what's going on in their life. Hopefully they make it to mid-adolescence where everything is the problem of authority figures and other people. And then hopefully they reach late adolescence where they can begin um, to make judgments and decisions that, that make sense and look at consequences. At any rate, we began to look at, and as I began to study and learn about 12-step treatment and try to understand it and how do you modify it to make it meaningful for teenagers from their developmental point of view. Um, and what I came up with to summarize how I've changed some of the steps, changed some of the steps is um, number one, when the first step talks about powerlessness. Okay, and the last thing in the world a teenager wants to know is that he's powerless. Now, the first step actually says, as we all know, powerless over drugs and alcohol, and that your life you know, has become unmanageable. Well, for teenagers, one, their whole life hasn't become unmanageable, just maybe part of it. And they look at the word powerless, and they say, hey, the, the purpose of being a teenager is to have power. You know, I want to have power, I want to be empowered, I don't want to have anything to do with a program that tells me I'm powerless. What it actually means is um, if you use drugs and alcohol because of the compulsive changes that have become uh, changes in the, in the brain that we can talk about later, um, it goes from use to compulsive use. But at any rate, I changed that to we look at, in the first step becomes, we look at negative consequences. And this is in my intervention work, where it's short and quick, fast, and I have some scientific data to validate it, um, or in my five-step workbook. And the issue is, have drugs and alcohol messed up your life enough that you need to stop? Period. Very simple. And that the 12-step program, if you... If you have negative, if bad things have happened in your life and you need to stop, then this is a program that will help you to stop. Um, 12-step programs um, developmentally are more for mid and older adolescents. The early adolescent with, who has not yet reached the point of addiction, it really doesn't, in my view, and this is my biases in my view, it really doesn't make sense for them to be in a 12-step program. If they're at the recreational or beginning to misuse stage, it does not make sense for them to be in a 12-step program because this is a program for addicts, okay? Right. Maybe the lucky ones that in, later in their life can actually use recreationally like lots of people do for alcohol, and although, and you know, in California and other ways, we can, the whole separate issue of marijuana, but in terms of, of where, it, it, where they're not addicts. And so the issue becomes for mid and late adolescents who have become addicted. And to me, addiction is defined as someone who can't do something in moderation, okay? If they begin using then it goes out of control and they continue to use in spite of negative consequences, whether that's drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, whatever they're eating, whatever their compulsive, out-of-control use is. And they can't do it in moderation. So therefore, the answer is if you can't do something in moderation and there are negative consequences, you need to be abstinent. You need to not do it. And this is a program that helps you not to do it. And I do things like with teenagers in terms of talking about that this is a program that helps you to stop using and supports you in not using and that you become powerful. This is an empowering program. You have the power to have a life. You can go to school. You'll be able to go to college. Your family will like you. You'll make it in the world. People will respect you. That's power. You know, doing drugs and alcohol and failing school and being arrested and being in jail and all of those sorts of things, 
that's not having power, real power. So I reinterpret the first step that it, I want it to be an empowering issue, that we're going to empower you because of you becoming abstinent. The other parts of the first step are to develop on, um, honesty, and then they've come up with, and I'll get a little psychodynamic. I know I'm rambling on, but um, I want to finish what a view of the first step. I want them to undo um, the disavowal, the denial of the emotional impact of their negative using. By that I mean that the girl, say the girl has been, has been, you know, has been raped three times at a party while she was drunk and drugged up, and they they talk about it. And the kids now, where fifteen twenty years ago there was a lot of denial. In other words, you know, they would keep it to themselves. Now they much more frequently tell you all these things have happened to me, but it's no big deal. Okay. In other words, they deny the affect of the emotional component that, gee, that was awful. So part of working a first step for these teenagers is for them to have them write it because I had teenagers that would tell me one thing one day and the next day they would tell me, oh, no, that didn't happen. You know, well, what was I listening to the previous day? Well, I changed my mind or whatever. So the issue becomes... It becomes, I want them to go over the negative consequences now that they're clean and sober. When they, when the negative consequences happened, they got beat up, they got uh, mugged, they got, their drugs were stolen from them, they ended up in jail, whatever it might be, I want them to remember it and relive it and have the, they, they were drunk and drugged up when it happened, so the emotional impact does not stay with them. If they relive it, then the emotional impact is, 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 oh, gee, that really was terrible. And when they can do that at home, that they've begun to not just cognitively, oh, yeah, bad things happen, but emotionally relive it and say, yeah, it was awful. That was a terrible experience. So this is sort of the type of thing that I try to do with in terms of just, I'm just dealing with the very fundamental issues that I think are different with, with uh, teenagers in doing their first step. Right. They're caught in that place, as you're saying, of they, it's probably even harder for them to be vulnerable than it is for adults. They don't want to be feel weak or feel like, man, I can't handle oh, it or something oh, really not, not at all. <laughs> the other thing I do with them is I do what I, what is an ego split. And, and this is an interesting phenomena. This is, now I'm talking about addicts, not recreational users, or they may be someone who's on the way to being an addict. But the issue, and then I want to get into the second and third step, but I think that's important in terms of in moving into what I think your, your program focuses on, into, which is fascinating, the issue of the spirituality. So um, um, back to, um, uh, in terms of, you want them to, um, where was I? <laughs> In terms of that feeling, not feeling vulnerable. And- I, I want to do that part of their brain is, is part of their brain is a, an addict brain, which is going to tell them addict thinking. And then part of their brain is a healthy brain, which is going to realistically try to look things, look at things, work their steps, try to be honest and whatnot. And I had the fascinating experience just a few weeks ago of a young girl who's 16, very, very bright, without giving any confidential details. But we were talking about how her type of thinking was setting her up to relapse. She's working a good program. Right. and that hold, her on type- to, hold on to that thought. It's time for our break, but we okay. want to hear the rest of this story. So listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back, and we'll hear what happened with this girl and her thinking. We'll be right back. We'd like to take a moment to encourage you, as part of our Unity Online radio family of listeners, to support this ministry through a love offering. For your convenience, you can make one-time or recurring monthly donations. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. 
wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin, on healthy living. In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life. In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life. I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it. That you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year. And we're throwing the biggest bash of all, a cruise to the Caribbean. November 10 through 17, 2012, we'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite hosts will be there, and we hope you will join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, visit www.unity.fm forward slash cruise. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, our topic today is Empowering Teens in Recovery, How 12-Step Programs and Recovering Adults Can Help. And my guest is Dr. Stephen L. Jaffe, MD. Dr. Jaffe has worked for the last 25 years uh, with adolescents in the recovery process and in treatment. He's worked to modify the 12-step programs so that they are developmentally meaningful for teens. And he is the author of two books that are used often in adolescent treatment, The Adolescent Substance Abuse Intervention Workbook and The Step Workbook for Adolescent Chemical Dependency. He is uh, a consultant with three different adolescent recovery programs in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And he is also the clinical, a clinical professor of psychiatry at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta and an emeritus uh, professor of psychiatry at Emory University, also in Atlanta. And he has uh, received his training from Harvard University from the Massachusetts Mental Health Center in child psychiatry and has been the president uh, of the Georgia uh, Council for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. So we're very glad to have him with us today. He's got so much to share. But before we get back to our conversation with Dr. Jaffe, I invite you to join me for a brief moment, the Serenity Minute, a moment to relax, to open up, and to focus on the presence of your higher power. So I invite you to take a moment simply to be aware of your breath, to allow your body to relax, to allow your mind to open and your heart to open. And share with me this constructive idea. I trust my higher power's presence in my life and in the lives of those I love. I trust my higher power's presence in my life and in the lives of those I love. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And now we're back to our conversation 
about empowering teens in recovery, how 12-step programs and recovering adults can help, and back with my guest, Dr. Stephen Jaffe. So, Dr. Jaffe, before the break, you were telling us, uh, we were talking about the adolescent uh, developmental issues and the brain and, and you know, how adolescents can kind of get in these, of these two minds. And you were telling us a story about uh, an adolescent that you'd just been working with recently and about her thinking, how she can kind of get caught up in two aspects of her thinking. So, please tell us that story. I'll finish the story. Uh, um, and because the, I'm fascinated with the issue of when someone develops addiction, um, and I, my own personal story is one of nicotine addiction, and I haven't had a cigarette in 30 years, but I still would give the right arm for a cigarette, but I know I'll be smoking two to three packs uh, a day tomorrow, but I will still have, I will still have addict thinking. In other words, I will still have thoughts if someone shows me a pack of uh, Marlboro box cigarettes, I will begin that, that addict part of my brain will begin saying, oh, you deserve a cigarette, you've had a tough day, it's been stressful. The addict thinking it becomes, and the most difficult part of it is because it's my own thoughts. So how can I realize that my own thoughts are really the addict part of my brain's thoughts and not the healthy part? an interesting phenomena. So I was going through this with this young lady who's 16 and, and she who's very bright and she had begun to have her addict thinking in terms of, oh, then things are hopeless and the next step is, of course, I may as well go get drunk and start using again. And then when I explained and we went through this and she said to me, you mean addiction is a disorder which tells you you don't have the disorder? I said, yes, you got it. She said, if I had diabetes, my diabetes wouldn't tell me that I don't have diabetes, okay? But my addiction was, my addicts, my, my, the addictive part of my brain tells me that I don't have this addiction. I mean, this is, and she just caught it. I mean, it was fascinating to see her do that. But getting back to, to um, some of the other issues in terms of just to finish the first step with, um, with teenagers, I never talk about surrender, okay? Um, that's often a concept used with, with, with an, ad- an adult recovery, and I understand it's surrendering to a positive program. It's not that I don't understand that, but telling, um, you know, a, a, a girl who has been drunk and raped three times um, to surrender um, it gets misinterpreted. What I want to do is tell her that this is a program, 12-step program in becoming abstinent, gives her the power that she will never again put herself in a position where other people can hurt her or abuse her. So that's uh, they, some of the, the, the phrases such as surrender or giving in. or they, One has to be very careful of the language and look at it in terms of where the um, teenager is coming from. Moving on to the second step, which is, I think, what you're very interested in in terms of, of, of higher power um, and whatnot. And my view is that um, why is this important? And this happens to be the issue and the spirituality issue is what um, psychiatrists in general that don't understand addiction and haven't worked with addicts and people in general don't follow um, why it's so important, why did Bill Wilson said this is the fundamental issue of, of working a 12-step 12 12-step 12 program. And the issue why I think it's so important and come to understand is that when someone becomes an addict, they develop, they develop a higher power. The higher power is their alcohol and their drugs. They have devoted their life to alcohol and drugs or marijuana and pot. And they, their addict thinking may take over and have all these rationalizations and whatnot, at, you know, whatever it might be. But the issue is that the nature of addiction is such that, they're, that what they're addicted to has become their higher power. They pray to it in the morning. They follow its rules. They follow it. Their, their drug or alcohol, gambling, whatever, has, has, become, has become their god, okay? And they devote themselves to it. And when they become abstinent and you take that away, 
there is an emptiness. There is a, you, you need to fill it up with, it has to, and this is where a positive higher power um, becomes so important. Um, and, you know, 20 years ago, I would argue with teenagers, they were into devil worship and all of that. And the basic issue, I stopped arguing with them because the, the basic issue is that that's a higher power built on taking advantage of other people. It's a negative higher power. It, it doesn't give people, make people responsible and the basic issues of being honest, responsible, caring about yourself and caring about others. So this is where I think and helping teenagers to understand that they devoted themselves to drugs and alcohol and now we're asking them to devote themselves and to, to the issues of turning over and that one needs to have trust in the stability of the world and realize one controls one's own behavior, but others, not what others say or do. And the issue of a higher power and, and, uh, is, can be, is, is really becomes, it can be, I had a teenager where his positive higher power was his guitar. Okay, and that became what he would turn over his addict thinking and his negative feelings and his guilt and all the rest of it and whatnot. And being able to helping teenagers in terms of to um, to to trust in something positive in the universe, because you know when we all of us we have to trust that that the world it's very almost biblical that the world is is stable <laughs> that when i wake up in the morning the world will still be there and 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 this it's a very deep it's whether you want to look at it in terms of eric and erickson's very first level um and that we all need a that sense and especially for addicts that have to replace that need to replace and we all need it i think we're all hardwired hardwired in our brains connect to other people and to seek meaning in, in, in life. And this comes back from, you know, from early infancy of, you know, mother, father, whoever the caretaker is of a baby. And we're programmed for survival to relate to others. And that whole issue of, you know, as I said to someone this morning in my office, we were, he just had gone to an, an A meeting and began to realize, I've been telling him for a year or so, that you may have addictive tendencies. And he's fine finally realized it and then he was you know he went to um he, he needed to call someone he was worried about bothering them and i pointed out that you know he's new to the program the 12th step has to do with you have to give it away and love is the only entity i know that the more you give away the more you have and that you're helping others to work their program he's staying clean and sober by becoming your sponsor and your um uh and your contact and you you're you're doing him a favor by letting him help you right Mm-hmm. Right. So, so these are in terms of um, I also one of the three programs uh, that I work with here in Atlanta, and there are a number of satellites elsewhere in Atlanta. It's called Atlanta Insight, and it's a let me because it fits right in with what I'm talking about, and that is it's an enthusiastic sobriety program, and mm-hmm. it's teaching kids um, to have fun off drugs and alcohol. And that's the other issue with teenagers. Teenagers are fun machines, okay? This is, this is why they're doing drugs and alcohol. And I know all about dual disorders and you escape your anxiety and you blah, blah, blah. But the basic issue that I've learned, which is very simple, but it took me 20 years to learn this, is the reason that kids do drugs is because they're fun. They love it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think psychiatrists and counselors and, um, may miss that fact. In other words, oh, you're running away from your depression and yes, you've had a hard life and even you were abused when you were young, whatever that, whatever it might be and whatnot. But the basic reason they do, and when I say to them, I say to them, your problem is, is that you love pot too much. You love cocaine too much. They love the drug. And then they light up and they look at me and they say, oh, gee, maybe Jaffe understands something about drugs and alcohol. And if you, you have to recognize that the reason that they use at the beginning and is, is because it's fun and they enjoy it and they get high on it. And it, it becomes, they become like, like God, however you are. They become their own higher power. But the problem is, of course, it never lasts. 
there's no, there isn't a, enough cocaine in the world to keep someone high on cocaine continuously. And that's the issue is that you always come down. And at any rate, this is a program I was actually started by a good friend of mine named Bob Meehan, who is retired now. And it's a program of very peer-oriented. All the counselors are young, cool, hip, recovering drug addicts who love being clean and sober. And they convey that. And it's a program and, and providing, and this is what's so important about, um, I, I believe, in terms of 12-step programs when, when teens can relate to them. And for where else are they going to find a recover, a, a peer group that doesn't use drugs and alcohol? You know, maybe the, the geeky kids that they're not, you know, they're not going to certainly learn how to become proficient on computers or something or join the chess club. Who are they going to hang with? Well, it's either kids that are using or a kids that are in recovery. And so for teenagers and that influence of their peers, that influence of having, you know, nobody, nobody want, no teenager wants to be by himself. And he will do whatever it takes to have friends or be part of a group. It gives them a sense of safety and growth and helps them in that developmental movement away from his parents. Um, and so what this is a program that actually provides that recovering peer group and, and where it's actually cool to pray, <laughs> you know, not only do you mm-hmm. meditate, but it's, it's cool, it's okay to pray. I mean, it's fascinating the way they make it in that way. And with having, you know, um, you know, social activities and uh, playing games and doing things, and they work their steps, and they work their steps in terms of... Um, in terms of their um, need to stop using, need to be abstinent, um, and needs to find a higher power and how to live in the present and the importance of, you know, we know exercise is great for people, addicts, meditation, as you've just demonstrated, is wonderful. Um, and that, that without this, the big issue is the follow-up. I mean, you can lock a kid up for 30 days or two weeks in a program somewhere, but the important part is what is he? What has he learned? What what do you, what is he going to take with him inside him? When I was running hospital programs for teenagers years ago, when they could be in the hospital for a period of weeks, and I would always ask him at the time of discharge, "What do you take with you?" Because that's what's important, and that's where the issue of just doing, um, you know. 12-step treatment is the, is the, if they can become involved in it and relate to other peers is going to give them that peer group to prevent relapse and to keep them going and being abstinent. Right. Now, enthusiastic sobriety, people can Google that. Is that correct? And is it just a peer, like a, like a, like an AA group or is it a treatment program or can people do it for free or? No, it, it is a treatment program, and we have, um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm not here to <laughs> advertise no. anything. You know, no, it's a, we have one in here in Atlanta and satellites in Greensboro. We have a couple of public kids. It's called Atlanta Insight. You can look up Enthusiastic Sobriety. There's another program in Phoenix, Arizona, Kansas City, Colorado, um, in Denver. There are about four or five programs, and they all based on the same enthusiastic sobriety principles. But this is a treatment program. Um, it's actually fairly inexpensive compared to what other programs are. Um, but the most important part is, um, you know, is that it provides that recovering peer group um, that continues on for a two-year period after their intensive outpatient program. Um, so, um, and it's, it's, it's called, it's exactly they love being clean and sober. I mean, I go over there and, and, and review with the counselors, all the kids that are in the program, and I feel good just being around them. They love life. They're all working good programs. Um, it's, it's, you know, uh, I mainly get paid in hugs is the way I put it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where else do you get hugs and people that tell you, uh, I love you and mean it in a, in a very genuine way and it's understood. So it's, it's really, it's really a program of love. It's a program, but it's at, it's developmentally appropriate for teenagers because it recreates the high stimulus environment. 
that the drug addict teenagers love. In other words, that it's all running around, having fun, uh, uh, playing games, uh, being with each other. I mean, it's a, it's a very, you know, you know, if, 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 if life, if being sober is boring and miserable, who would want it? Who would pick that? And the issue is, is that, is how do we make, um, and we've had, I've had, um, counselors and psychiatrists from other, from other universities that have come and spent time with us in terms of looking at, and in any program working with teenagers or, or even group therapy, if you don't make, if you don't make it fun, then, then they're not going to get anything out of it. They're not going to be, and certainly drug addict teenagers are not going to keep coming. And so That's- you have to, you have to make it fun. That, Hank, hold on to that thought. It's time for our break. We'll be right back, and uh, here's some more about what it is that supports teens in staying in recovery. Listeners, hang with us. Who have you come here to be? It's a question we all ponder from time to time. Reverend Kelly Isola, host of Spiraling Consciousness, and her co-authors have crafted a guidebook that will take you on a profound journey. If you long for love, peace, and joy, or yearn for commitment, passion, calm, or clarity, this book teaches you that you already have all of these within you. Whatever you long to experience outside of you is an aspect of you wanting to be birthed. Who have you come here to be? 101 Possibilities for Contemplation is part daily reader, part spiritual practicum. Drenched in gorgeous imagery, each powerful page invites readers to dance, to leap, to sit still, to stand tall as they ponder the question, Who have I come here to be? Join the journey of self-discovery. Come explore the world within an infinite field of possibilities to discover who have you come here to be. To order your copy of Who Have I Come Here to Be? 101 Possibilities for Contemplation, go to www.whohaveyoucomeheretobe.com. That's www.whohaveyoucomeheretobe.com. think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Reverends Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to the Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Empowering Teens in Recovery, How 12-Step Programs and Recovering Adults Can Help. And we are, uh, our guest is Dr. Stephen Jaffe, MD. He's a professor emeritus of psychiatry at Emory University. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry at Morehouse School of Medicine, both of those universities in Atlanta. And he has spent the last 25 years working to modify 12-step programs to make them develop 
Developmentally Meaningful for Teens. He's the author of the Adolescent Substance Abuse Intervention Workbook and the STEP Workbook for Adolescent Chemical Dependency. He also uh, is consulting with three different adolescent treatment programs in the Atlanta area. So, uh, Dr. Jaffe, you were telling us uh, some things about that, how important it is for teens to have fun and uh, that's a big part of that recovery process. So why do you uh, uh, stick with teens in recovery? It's uh, Some people, I have some friends that work in adolescent programs, and they love it, and it's hard, um, but you love it. What is it that keeps you working with teens rather than adults in recovery? Um, well, you can't do it full-time um, from my point of view, but um, I just love the excitement, the spunkiness. I've always liked, and I do, I do some, I do general psychiatry. Also, I work with bipolar kids, and by the way, the bipolar addicts are, uh, the, the teenagers that have bipolar disorder need to be stabilized on medicine before they can even really begin to work a program, and that's a whole separate topic. But um, either it clicks and you like teenagers. I like the the spunkiness, you know, the kids that tell me off, that tell me, drop dead, you don't know anything. That energy, if you can then move it into a positive, becomes a positive factor <laughs> instead of just negative, um, is a wonderful experience to see them grow when they decide to in that type of way. Uh, it keeps me young, being busy with teenagers, and it keeps me from taking myself and life too seriously. Um, it keeps me, uh, <laughs> my, myself and my higher power in, in check with things. Um, I think you were going to ask me about, you, know, you had mentioned, um, in terms of, by the way, let me just mention in terms of my two workbooks, um, they, they're purchased in, in, in packages of five, and the teenager, the intervention one, you can use in the program to initially, they fill it out and they present it at a group, and it corresponds to motivational enhancement therapy as well as some cognitive behavioral, but it's also a first step. And then the five-step workbook, they fill out and present to groups, and it sort of structures, and, and I found that by having them write it down and then present it and having other teenagers that are in the process in the program ask them the questions that they have to take more accountability for that. But in terms of you were asking me about um, what about recovering people and, and relating to teenagers and whatnot and having teenagers, first of all, um, if, if I think it becomes important that, that you know, teenagers must feel, need to feel welcomed at whatever NANA group or GA group, you know, whatever group, um, 12-step group, if, if they get a feeling, and it could be nonverbal, that the adults resent having the teenagers there, then they're not going to come or they're not going to get anything out of it or they're just there to satisfy their parole officer or whatever it is. It's a, it, it's a negative sort of thing. So the third thing is, is that, you know, does the adult, is he interested in teenagers? Does he want to connect with a teenager? Um, does he want to go over and, and just sit and listen and say, you know, hey, it sucks that you have to be here. What are you doing here? And get to know them. And, and you find things out by asking teenagers questions. I have a million questions for a teenager. You know, I never run out of questions to get to know them as a real person. So the issue is, is if an adult in recovery is at a meeting, if the teenager's if you, you go up and talk to them individually and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. You know, tell me about your recovery or tell me about what your life or tell me about, you know, um, who you came with or what you're doing here or whatever it is. And you give them your phone number. You reach out to them. Teenagers will respond to that and they know whether you're genuine or not. Um, and so the, the issue is just make the effort to do that. I think at meetings where teenagers are cutting up or not listening, you got that balance of, of caring enough to also set limits. Um, you know, when I ran groups and hospital programs and whatnot, um, you have to keep in check from not letting things become too, become too negative. So it's okay to set limits, and the teenagers will respond to that. But the basic message needs to be one of, I care about you. You know, there needs to be love in the room, or else nothing positive is going to happen for anybody. Right, right. Thank you. That's really helpful. 
We, um, I know you're writing a new book. You're in the process of that. You've been interviewing teens about their spirituality. What are you finding out? <laughs> well, that's a, a, a work in progress. And looking at having interviewing um, young adults, mainly these are staff members, in order to try to un- understand something, I wanted to understand what has been their spiritual experiences that make it so important. And um, and what I'm beginning to see is you have a whole variety of spiritual type of experiences, everything from a voice in the back of the head finding answers, making connections, it's the the love, but it's the connections with the other people. You know, higher powers are not high in the sky. <laughs> All our higher powers are the love and connection between people um, as person to person. And and so that that those are people caring enough to um, it doesn't have to be being just nice and sympathetic, but sometimes someone confronting someone with you know you know you know stop you know you know to try to encourage to you know stop being so self centered. I mean, some it, it's an interesting phenomenon, and if you want to have me back at a later time uh, to look at it, but I guess the most important message is that that these uh, these are all fifty severe alcoholic drug addict teenagers that subsequently divide developed through meditation, prayer, connecting with others, giving away, appreciating the gleam in each other's eye, um, you know, um, you know, that have that, that love life and are in good recovery. And continue to work their program, and so I, I'll, I'll have to come back when I finish a year from now. I should have it done uh, to come back to you and say, "Hey, these are the types of spiritual experience that are that occurred within them, and that seem to be important." And then the question is, how can we how can we intervene uh, with this um, in this type of way? Um, the only um, the only scientific oh well, by the way I do have a spirituality study uh, where I found a spirituality rating scale and we did fourteen kids in this enthusiastic sobriety program at baseline and then when they twelve weeks later when they finished the intensive outpatient program and there was a clear relationship using a standardized spirituality scale relating to how well they did in the program and how well the level and and they of terms of working their spirituality and connecting with love and a higher power and feeling the universality of of mankind and those types of so it was a non-religious spiritual type of thing so i actually have a study and presented it and demonstrating the importance of it um but the scientific people would say it's not a double blind placebo controlled experiment but that's a whole separate type of issue um but um there's 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 a reason why bill wilson said the spirituality is is fundamental and and then and 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 you know, we're in a world now where even, you know, dialectical behavior therapy, the mindfulness and meditation and so much of the spirituality is now an accepted part, although it has not been, you no know, DBT has been studied scientifically, um, but in terms of um, we're just beginning to study and understand better uh, what spirituality is, and hopefully by examining it, we won't change it in terms of as you try to study something in that type of way. Right. That's powerful, and I definitely will have you back for sure. And uh, be a year from now, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have processed <laughs> 50, hours of, or 50 hours of interviews to look at what are they, you know. But there's, the, the bottom message is the spiritual, their spirituality is the fundamental issue of their recovery and their enjoying life, and that the message is, and they, these are, they, you know, they love life. You know, they, I mean, I've seen, you know, depressions get lifted and issues and whatnot. It's not to say that, you know, 
there isn't in some people dual disorders and you know ADD and all of that sort of stuff. That's a whole separate issue. Um, but the the issue is that the spiritual mess. The bottom message is is that spirituality does work and is such a fundamental part of people that are in good recovery. And it's the least understood by the scientific community. It's fascinating because I've been in, active in child psychiatry for, you know, 40 years now. Um, and, and I'm just beginning to give, as I get this, my data in terms of my interviews and whatnot. And, and I presented this at the Adolescent Society meeting, um, I guess, about three or four months ago. And it was fascinating. I thought nobody would. I was the last speaker of the day. It was 4 o'clock. I started at 8 in the morning, and at, I was doing neurobiology to spirituality at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was fascinating, but there were pe- about 50, 60 people, and they all stayed to hear me. I was amazed. I thought they would leave and get tired of listening, but they all wanted it. There is that interest in it. And they all stayed, and then they came up to me afterwards asking me questions about it. Um, and it's and fabulous. It. I wish we could keep going, but it's, our time is up. Fabulous way to to close this. Dr. Jaffe, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. You have truly blessed us, and thank you for all the listeners for being with us. God bless, and have a wonderful week, and uh, know that you're in my thoughts and prayers. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. You've seen reality TV. Well, now get ready for reality radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. You Can Heal Your Life follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome their challenges. Tune in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says, We must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, You Can Heal Your Life, with Dr. Chris Michaels. Live, Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. Things may happen around you, things may happen to you, but the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and to join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.